0: Hey, Waves listeners, I want to tell you about an exciting event we're doing. Do you love Succession? Want a deep dive into the show's feminist heroes and villains and hear smart women investigate the fashion, power, and relationship dynamics of one of HBO's biggest shows? Join the Waves for a very special Women of Succession virtual event exclusively for Slate Plus members. It's on Tuesday, May 23rd at 5 p.m. Eastern, and you can sign up now at slate.com slash Waves event. And if you aren't a Slate Plus member, sign up now and get your first three months for only $5 at slate.com slash the Waves Plus. That's slate.com slash the Waves Plus.
1: Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and mystery illness. Every episode, you get a new pair of feminists to talk about the thing we can't get off our minds. And today, you've got me, Eleanor Cummins, a freelance science writer and regular Slate contributor. Later in the show, I'm going to be joined by the incredible Allison Berenger, host of the award-winning podcast, Bodies, now in its fourth season. I always come back to stories about embodiment. Why are people getting Botox in their 20s? Do 60-second exercises actually work? And what is a $38 yoga class really buying us? These are the kinds of things I've been writing about for years. I'm constantly struck by the gap between the reality of our bodies and our secret hopes for what they can do or should be. When I first heard an episode of the podcast Bodies, it was a revelation Each season, Allison presents a wide array of deeply personal true stories and attempts to help solve a different person's medical mystery.
0: I was taken in by something. Something like swooped me. This season on Bodies, we bring you six new episodes stories that unearth the mysteries within. It was something that I just buried because the contradiction was too painful and stories that investigate the forces outside of us. When the miscarriages started happening a lot, it,
1: it didn't seem like a coincidence anymore. Some episodes are unfamiliar topics, and others you'd never have imagined possible. Seriously, there's an episode about a woman who can't stop orgasming, and not in a fun way. There's an episode about periods so painful you want to reach out and hug the narrator. Every installment is a little miracle. Today on The Waves, I'm going to talk to Allison about her own body story, why female bodies contain so many mysteries, and what we can do to solve them. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back with Allison Berenger. Hey, Waves listeners. If you're loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes, too. Recently, we've been talking about character actresses, making movies horny, and hating your spouse. Welcome back to The Waves. I'm here now with Alison Berenger. Allison, welcome. Thanks so much, Eleanor. Really glad to have you here. So Bodies started with a personal story, your own. For listeners who aren't familiar, can you tell us a little bit about the pain that started it all?
0: The inspiration for the show and, and the first episode is my own story with painful sex. Um, and at this point, it happened kind of a while ago. But basically what happened was when I was in my mid-20s, all of a sudden, sex became painful for me. And I had never had an issue with that before. And yeah, it like kind of started as the small thing and then just progressed and progressed to the point where like pretty much every time I was having sex, it was some level of painful. And I went to my gynecologist and basically she was kind of like, "Oh, use more lube, you'll be fine." And was pretty dismissive of it. I'm on my back in the exam chair, and I tell the doctor that it's been over 5 months of on and off painful sex. She does a quick exam, and then she's just like, "Well, nothing's wrong." And I'm kind of like, "Wait, what? What could it be?" And all she really says is, nah, lots of women have pain during sex. It'll probably go away. Try using more lube. When I get home, my mom is sitting at the kitchen table. How'd it go? She asks. I curl up in her lap and cry. I also remember at the time this was probably like 2015 doing a lot of Googling on the internet, painful sex, and just nothing really coming up, except, yep, this is a thing that people have, but not really offering any solutions. That had a huge impact on my relationship, my sense of self, just kind of feeling like, okay, I guess I'm just kind of doomed to have mediocre or bad sex or not have sex. Like, I guess this is just my life now. And I was really lucky to get in a conversation with a friend of mine who ended up telling me her story with painful sex. And it was sounding really familiar, really familiar. And she told me that the cause of her painful sex was the birth control pill. And that she had figured this out after a very long time of being in pain. And at the time, I was kind of like, what? I've never thought twice about the side effects of the pill. And in the time since, I've learned about a lot of the different sexual side effects, like mood effects and yeah, so basically, the episode is my personal experience and then delving into kind of the social, political, scientific reasons why one, so many people don't know about the sexual side effects of the pill and two, why there's not better options and how we even got to this point. And beyond that, I think the episode is also about not only seeking an absence of pain, but seeking out pleasure. I guess I'll just speak for myself. I would say getting to know my own pleasure has been kind of a lifelong journey, but I think I took a big step when I was kind of navigating all that stuff around painful sex too.
1: Definitely. You know, it's a fantastic episode. And one of the themes that it really emphasizes is this idea of mystery of the not knowing, right, and trying to piece it together. And the tagline of your show is a show about people solving the mysteries of their bodies. And while Bodies doesn't exclusively air female stories, you clearly work hard to spotlight women and other marginalized genders. So one has to wonder, do women and marginalized genders have more medical mysteries than cis men? And if so, why? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. I think that on the one hand, cis men have a lot of medical mysteries too. Uh, We know that men don't see the doctor as often as women do. So I don't want to say men never have any mysteries or men never face any challenges with the medical system because they do. But pretty much every episode that we've done, it's revealed like some other layer why women and marginalized genders have a harder time either figuring out what's going on with their bodies or getting the help that they need. We haven't done an episode about endometriosis, but I think it's um, a condition probably a lot of your listeners are familiar with. And I think the statistic is it takes someone typically like 10 years to get the help that they need after onset of symptoms. We've just seen this over and over and over again in all the stories. Like We did an episode about fibroids, and we also looked, in addition to Sexism in medicine, we looked at the intersection of racism and how black women experience four times the severity of fibroids. And yeah, so it's not only the gender layer, like there's a lot of other layers that are impacting care too.
1: I think it's so fascinating how each episode, as you said, sort of um, continues to peel away at this onion, right? Of why this is happening to so many people again and again and again. And it's impossible for me to choose a favorite episode, um, but one story (laughs) that is seared into my brain is Stacey's from season two. So for those who haven't listened, Stacey was for several years in a physically abusive relationship. She eventually left her partner, but suffered from strange symptoms. We're talking brain fog, exhaustion, hair trigger anger before being diagnosed as having a traumatic brain injury from repeated head trauma. So that's a diagnosis mostly uh, discussed in terms of football players, right? Um, But you argue in bodies that there's reason to believe it's affecting many domestic abuse survivors, too. I would just get upset over the least little things. Like a smell. You know, just cooking something and it would set off a migraine and I would just lose my temper and be like, why'd you have to cook that? And they're like, what did that monster do to you? I started thinking, did he change me? You know, am I like him now? And I couldn't understand why I was losing my temper and just getting out of control with rage my sister. She's like, who are you? You are not my sister. And I was like, no, I'm not. I've gone through enough. I've changed. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it was like reporting that story? And is there reason to think we're making progress on some of these gendered biases in medicine in the years since an episode like Stacy's aired?
0: Yeah. So, to speak to the reporting process a little bit. So this was actually an episode that was pitched to us by a producer named Mervyn Deganos. And he had been looking into this and was like, I think this would be a good fit for bodies. And he had actually first interviewed this researcher named Dr. Eve Valera. And she's kind of been at the forefront of this research around traumatic brain injuries and women and people in intimate partner violence situations. And i behind the curtain a little bit with our reporting process, he came to us and was like, I think this would be a great idea. And we're like, great, this is totally a Bodies episode. And then since all of Bodies episodes, it doesn't matter how interesting the idea is, we really need to find a person who has experienced this firsthand, who is in a space to talk about it, uh, which isn't always easy for Bodies episodes because we tend to sometimes cover some pretty tough topics, and find a person whose story is kind of representative of the research that we're doing. So, Mervin basically like talked to maybe five or six people. I spoke to them as well and then Stacy was the person who seemed like most willing, most able to kind of tell her story and just it kind of matched what we were looking for. And your question about like have things changed, have things improved. I mean, the statistics coming out of COVID era tell us that domestic violence incidents increased tremendously during COVID. And so we can kind of imagine that probably there's more people who've experienced traumatic brain injuries in these contexts. At the same time, I think that more people are talking about this. More word is getting out. Dr. Valera is continuing to do great research about this. I actually got an email from a person who does trainings with police officers about how to handle domestic violence situations. There's a scene in the episode, something that happened to Stacy, where there was an incident where her partner was extremely violent. The police came, and they were asking her questions, and she had just had a traumatic brain injury, and so she was kind of dazed, unable to explain what happened, which to an untrained law officer might look like someone who wasn't really hurt or, like, didn't really know what was going on, and so one of the number one things that healthcare providers or people involved in these situations should know is like what the signs are for traumatic brain injuries. And so anyway, this woman who was training police officers reached out to say like, I shared this episode as part of my training. And I had more than one person come up to me afterwards and say, wow, I never considered this. Thank you so much for sharing this. I'm now going to like approach my work differently. So I think It seems obvious, but like truly getting more information out there, letting more people know the facts of this is really empowering and can really make a difference, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible to get to hear some of the impact that it's having. And I think the way that the stories are told, right, and the amount of time that you spend with each person as a listener, you know, it's maybe a half hour out of your day, right? Just really focusing on one person's experience is so impactful and it can do things that data can't necessarily do on its own. I wanted to ask as well, so how do you report at the bleeding edge of medical evidence, right, particularly in cases where the opinions of patients and physicians might clash and no one really has decisive data? In many cases, a person like Stacey's lived experience might speak for itself, but I imagine there's always the risk that doctors, researchers, or even other patients will disagree with the takeaway on a contested
0: issue. That definitely comes up a lot. So this reminds me a little bit of an episode that we did season one about a person who just like, she couldn't really get her life together, didn't know what was going on and eventually figured out that it seemed very likely that she had autism. And there's a big debate in the autism community about the validity of self-diagnosis. And um, we talked to different experts and doctors about this and people were pretty split on it. And in the episode... Reese, our main participant, didn't end up getting a diagnosis. And there's also a lot of barriers to getting an autism diagnosis. You need good health insurance. You need to get on the list. You need to do all these things. And speaking to her after the episode aired, she did end up getting an autism diagnosis. But yeah, and I think that kind of going back to what we were talking about in the beginning of the conversation, there's just really not enough research on so many of these topics that affect women and marginalized genders. And so what are we left with? We're left with personal stories. We're left with clinical accounts from doctors. A lot of times, even with the painful sex story, if you were to do, especially like five, seven years ago, a meta-analysis of the effects of birth control on painful sex, like you probably wouldn't find much. But if you talk to doctors who are specializing in painful sex, who are seeing patients come to them, they have this clinical experience that is not necessarily going to be reflected in research.
1: We're going to take a break here, but if you want to hear more from Allison and me, check out our Slate Plus segment, where today we're talking about the power of social media for connecting people who are struggling with an illness, mysterious or otherwise. And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no hitting the paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content of shows like this one. To learn more, go to slate.com thewavesplus.
0: When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes, like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.
1: Welcome back to The Waves. I'm here with Allison Berenger. So Bodies began as a show about medical mysteries, usually in terms of one patient's experience. But as the series has evolved, your definition of a good medical mystery has continued to broaden. It's not just in the individual, but also in the system, as in the case of a wonderful episode about a Los Angeles school that was connected to decades of miscarriages, headaches, other strange symptoms, and ultimately turned out to have been built on top of a toxic dump.
0: Anytime we went outside, out in the playground, I always felt nauseated, and I always had a severe runny nose. As a kid, I didn't connect the tar with feeling sick. I didn't connect that.
1: Can you tell us about that process of expanding the show's aperture?
0: After the first two seasons realized that there were topics that we were really interested in, that didn't quite fit neatly into that formula of like one person solving a medical mystery. And so we had heard about people in the community were having a lot of health issues. And then the community basically discovered that this school um, that they were sending their children to that a lot of teachers in the community were working at uh, was actually built on a toxic dump. It took years of activism to clean up that site. That idea was kind of born out of wanting to look into environmental racism, the connection between environmental disasters and our health. So for this episode, we instead of just meeting one person, you meet a community of people that are kind of trying to solve a mystery about their community.
1: Often the podcast sort of shows how the personal and the political are butting up against each other and spinning out into the real world. I think, for example, of just how many people you've spoken to who are struggling because of systemic racism, systemic sexism, just plain financial burden in trying to understand what's wrong with them. Nothing showcased the intersectionality of health better, faster, or more broadly than COVID-19. And I wanted to ask how, if at all, the pandemic has changed you or change the show.
0: On a very practical level, during COVID, we adapted and did a lot of remote recordings and all of that and kind of had to work around it. I think that in a lot of ways, COVID just kind of laid bare the the thing that we've been saying all along with this show, which is that health is not individual. Health is impacted by all these societal forces. It's impacted by money. It's impacted by politics. For example, we saw the ways that COVID disproportionately affected black communities. And that I think illustrates the way that healthcare in this country is not equal. Like people aren't getting the same access to care. And in terms of the show, I mean, I think to be totally honest, I and I think other members of the team came out of kind of that first like six months of COVID. We had just published our second season kind of exhausted and just really kind of beat down by just the realities of what was happening. I'm sure like everyone can relate to that. Um, And so when we set out to do the third season and also the fourth season, I think we really wanted to continue to hold ourselves to a high standard and chase those hard stories and not shy away from stories that included trauma, for example, because that is what is a part of a lot of people's experiences with their body, but also really look for opportunities to like bring joy and levity into our stories. So we did an episode last season about herpes, which obviously uh, STI is not funny or light necessarily. However, the person who tells their story in that episode, Kelly, is just funny and bring some funny anecdotes and she gets serious and personal and emotional and and all the things that you would expect but that was an episode that we had some fun with and she kind of guided us down a more fun approach to an episode and I think that one of the things that I love hearing from people is when they listen to an episode they're like oh I love Kelly I'm like I love Kelly too she's so cool I don't know how I made sure but I was determined that I wouldn't be ashamed of having sex If I wanted to have sex, I had sex. And I liked it. I enjoyed it. And this coming season, we have an episode that's all about touch. And so it's just kind of a fun, poetic exploration of different people's experiences with touch.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, Kelly is lovely. She's like the ideal mom. She's just funny and forthright, wonderful to hear her experience. Do you think that the pandemic has changed in particular how we view women's health in any way? One thing that comes to mind for me is the conversation around long COVID, which is this idea that for some people, COVID symptoms don't just clear up, you know, after a few days or a few weeks, but actually linger. And it seems like a lot of conditions that sort of fall under this umbrella of what might be considered broadly autoimmunity are really disproportionately women and often their symptoms aren't believed.
0: I think that it's such an interesting story. The things that are really cool, cool, quote unquote, to me about that story is all the activism and kind of collective push for recognition of long COVID. And I think that long COVID is like another example of a thing that People were like, that's not a thing. That doesn't exist. You get COVID and then you get your tastes back and then your brain function returns to normal. And there were all these people saying, no, that's not what's happening to me. And compared to other chronic illnesses that have taken decades to be recognized, I think that even though people with long COVID are still fighting an uphill battle, it's been pretty impressive to see like big medical institutions take up long COVID as something that's serious and they're going to put funding behind. And obviously there's not enough. There's still so much more that needs to be done. And I think that in a way, from what I've seen, all the incredible work and activism that's being done around long COVID is also helping people with fibromyalgia or um, chronic Lyme, kind of other conditions that fit under this umbrella of mysterious illness that mostly women get that we don't have an answer to.
1: In my personal experience, Bodies offers its listeners so many incredible things, Um, a chance to relate with others with maybe similar symptoms, opportunities to build empathy with people whose stories you may otherwise never have heard, and the chance to think deeply about the systems that affect our health. What, if anything, do you hope that people take away from the show and perhaps even apply in their real lives?
0: I hope people take away a lot of the things you said, building empathy for other people's experience. I mean, so many of the people that we talk to, like if you met them when they were in the height of of what they're describing, you probably wouldn't know, right? So I think it's a good reminder of how many people you're encountering probably every day who have something going on that they're not talking about. The other thing that I believe so firmly in, and I think this was a big inspiration for bodies, is just Talking about your maybe embarrassing, maybe vulnerable experience, like really has power to help people. And yeah, I th- maybe that sounds cheesy, but I think it's super, super true. And I think that the people who uh, have participated on Bodies are like really doing this big service by putting their story out there. And you know, this as someone who's creating stories and creating things for people to share, it's like someone might have had this experience themselves and then be able to share the episode with someone else like for example we did an episode about a person with PGAD which is essentially when you're having uncontrollable orgasms and it's like you know haha that sounds fun or funny but it's actually like a horrible condition the suicide rate is really high and um I spoke with a person I was like the fifth person that she had told about this and she told me that after the episode was out and stuff she would Send the episode to people to almost explain succinctly, like what had happened to her. And of course, the episode isn't going to capture her whole experience, but this kind of work can serve as a communication starter between people, between generations, or between people who are like maybe a little bit nervous to talk about painful sex or something. But by sending the episode, you can kind of start a conversation.
1: Thank you, Allison. Yeah, thank you so much. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shayna Roth and Tori Dominguez. Daisy Rosario is Senior Supervising Producer. Alicia Montgomery is Vice President of Audio. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves at slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different host, different topic, same time and place. so much for being a Slate Plus member. And since you're a member, you get this weekly segment. Today, Allison and I are going to talk about the role of social media platforms in connecting sick people. Allison, The Body's Facebook page is plugged at the end of every episode. How did it start and what goes on in there?
0: Yeah, so I think that part of the vision for bodies from the beginning wasn't just to be a podcast, but kind of a place where people could come together around to share information about their bodies. And actually, if listeners are familiar with the book, Our Bodies, Ourselves, which is almost like a manual about everything to do with the body, the whole idea of this book was that it was made in the 70s or 80s. I'm not sure exactly the era, but basically all these women got together and were like, hey, there's so much the medical establishment doesn't know about us, which at the time was also very male-dominated. We have a lot of knowledge about ourselves that we can share with each other. Let's make a book about it. And so even the name Bodies kind of is inspired by that. And I feel very inspired by that work. And so we thought, well, Wouldn't it be cool to kind of bring listeners together in some place? Facebook is that. I mean, ideally now there would be some like other platform where people are coming together, but that's where we are. We're on Facebook. And it's really funny because I remember talking to my then colleague, Kristen Lepore. We were kind of trying to brainstorm around launching the group. And we were like, okay, we'll plug it at the end of every episode. And we'll have to like come up with a bunch of questions to get people talking in there, little prompts. And what was really incredible was that after the first episode aired, people start joining, people start joining. We're like up to 100 members. It's more than my mom and my roommates in the Facebook group. And we like maybe posted one prompt. And then we realized we didn't have to. We just didn't have to do anything. People were in there. People were sharing resources. People were reading. like, hey, I live in Seattle. Does anyone have a recommendation for a gynecologist who knows about fibroids? And then like someone was like, great. I've gone to this person. You should check her out. So just immediately, people just started sharing their stories, offering advice to other people. And it's kind of funny because I thought, oh, maybe people will want to discuss the episodes in kind of a nerdy debrief the episodes way. Honestly, people aren't really interested in that. (laughs) People are really interested in coming together to share what they're going through. And some really beautiful things have happened in the Facebook group where someone will be like, I have had painful sex too. My experience is really similar to Allison's. People will kind of chime in with recommendations for a good pelvic floor therapist in their area. And then like a year later, the person will repost and be like, I'm through it. I'm better now. Thanks, everyone. That was just some of our Slate Plus segment. If you want to hear the whole thing, go to slate.com slash the waves
1: plus to become a Slate Plus member today. Slate.com slash the waves plus.